0: Looking at our world from a theological perspective, this is the Theology Central Podcast, making Theology Central. Good afternoon, everyone. It is Saturday, September the 9th, 2023. It is currently 3.40 p.m. Central Time, and I'm coming to you live from the Theology Central studio located right here in Abilene, Texas. Now, there is something I have never been very good at, and I know there are extremes, right? And I know both extremes are probably not very helpful, but I'm not very good at finding the balance here, right? You see, there are some preachers— There are some broadcasters. There's some Christian podcasters that they are very good at saying, you know, stay tuned because the next hour could be the most important hour of your entire life. The next hour will prove to be transformative. It will be life changing, mind altering. This will be. You know, the most important broadcast you've ever heard and they're very good at hyping it up or promoting it or, or making it sound like you cannot miss this. I, I know many churches are good at that. Hey, coming up starting next week, we're going to begin a six week series and you will not want to miss one. One Sunday, you will not want to miss one service because this is going to be, this is going to revolutionize your marriage. This is going to change the way you parent your, your, your children. This is going, I mean, this is going to change your Christian life or this is going to revolutionize your Bible study. They're very good at promoting it. Very good at hyping it up very good making you feel like that the broadcast you are about to listen to is the most important and you could you can argue if that's a good thing you can argue if that's a bad thing but that that that's they're just good at that and i'm not so good at that right i'm kind of like hey we're going to begin this series and probably won't be very good, and it's probably going to be a waste of your time, and you're probably going to get bored with it, and, and you're probably going to drop out, and it's probably I, – I, I try to do a little bit better, but I'm not good. at this. So I go to the other extreme. I'm like, well, you know – I'm getting ready to do this. It's probably not going to be very good, but hey, if you want to stick around for the next 30 minutes, you know, you know, I mean, you probably actually don't. You probably should just go listen. That's going to the other extreme. Where is that balance? Where is that balance? And I guess I'm always afraid of being that person because I've seen pastors do this. I've seen pastors do this where they act like, wow, I mean, you're not going to believe what's going on in our church lately. I mean, everyone is on fire for God. People's lives are being changed. I mean, and they really hype up what's happening. We did this sermon series and and, and, and it was so amazing. And sometimes I think they believe their own hype. I don't know if they have an accurate view of what's actually going on. Now, you could be you could argue, well, that's a good thing, right? Because they stay encouraged. They stay excited because th- they don't have an accurate perception. But do you do you want to be the person who doesn't have an accurate perception of what's going on? Like, I, I don't know. Now, on the other hand, I'm the one going, well, I did six weeks of teaching. No one liked it. No one cared. No one remembers anything. I don't even know what's the point of preaching next week. Like, I, I go to the other extreme. So I I don't know what I should say today because here's the reality. Here's the reality. It's one of those Saturdays where I've got a million things going on, right? have family in from Boston, the family that lives here. Everyone's been here. So we started the morning off with a football game. And then there was a big lunch and everybody was here. There was swimming. And now there's just like, I got a little bit of a break. And then we're off to the West Texas fair and rodeo. Right. And then of course, tomorrow I have, you know, three hours of preaching and teaching. So in the middle of all of this, you know, activity, family activities, I'm trying to figure out how do I do sermon prep? But then I'm like, you know what? I haven't broadcasted. In fact, I haven't been broadcasting much of anything. So I got to do something. I got to do something. But there's a part of me that says that, like, you know, it's probably not going to be very good. So do I tell everyone that from the start? Do I say, hey, guys, I'm going to go live, but, you know, you probably should just skip it right because this is probably not really good because the things i want to do right i need to do, need to do the next episode in law and gospel that requires a little bit more focus and so i wanted to bring like somewhat of a devotional message but i mean on one hand can i say hey if i open up god's word and i say anything i mean who are you to criticize that who because it's the word of god right but is that not using scripture is that not kind of like using scripture to kind of protect myself? Hey, you, how dare you criticize what I'm doing? I opened up God's word and gave you a devotional message. You should be grateful. You should be thankful. I guess on one hand, there, there may be a little bit of element of truth to that because we do take it for granted. I mean, don't we? I mean, you've got, well, just, I mean, just how, how much do you take for granted having an app like the sermons 2.0 app or the or the sermon audio beta site the beta.sermonaudio.com, where they're improving the site every day do you take for granted how many sermons that are available to you 24 hours a day 7 days a week you can just listen to sermon after sermon after sermon after sermon after sermon after sermon, after sermon. you can hear you know podcast episodes lectures you, i mean do you take it for granted? So do I have to, like on one hand, I want to be able to say, like, if I sound uh, super spiritual, I'm going to open up my Bible here in a minute. And I'm going to tell you to turn to the book of Ezekiel. We're going to look at a verse. And everyone should be grateful for that. Everyone should be excited that in 2023, you can be wherever you are today and you can just open up a device, you know, you're uh, open up your phone or a tablet, and there's preaching, there's teaching, there's devotional messages. You should be ecstatic. You should be so grateful. You should be thanking God every day. I thank thee, Lord, that I live during a time where I can listen to your word being proclaimed and preached 24 7. But we take it so much for granted. So then I feel like I have to somehow justify what I'm doing. But at the same time, at the same time, shouldn't I? I mean, should I use the fact that I'm opening up God's word as an excuse for putting together something that's not of great quality? Like it's, I'm I'm so conflicted by all of these things. But ultimately, whatever you do, like take take it for granted, don't take it for granted. That's on you. I can't necessarily fix that. What I have to do is not use well, it's God's word as an excuse for putting something out that's really of not, hopefully, of great benefit. So I don't know. I want this to be of great benefit. I don't know it will. I don't know if it will, but I do know this. We're going to be dealing with an issue very much related to Bible interpretation, biblical hermeneutics, and just basic how do you read the scriptures. Now, it all started because on August the 18th, 2023— I received, obviously, another issue of the Sword of the Lord newspaper. Remember, I told everyone to get there. Remember, I told everyone to subscribe to the Sword of the Lord newspaper. I told everyone, even if they just did it for one year for the historical, you know, hey, this is an actual, you could show your kids what an actual paper looked like, right? But you know, I because I, look, I don't always agree with the theology in the Sword of the Lord newspaper, but I just still think it's fascinating that it, fascinating that it's still being printed as an actual paper in 2023. It seems so antiquated, but it's I still love the feeling of an of a paper in my hand. Right. So um, on August the 18th, 2023, um, on page three of this issue, they have a pay a section called the Preacher's Column. Right the preacher's column, and they have different famous quotes and different sayings. And then right over here on the far right column of page three, I read these words. The Lord is there. Ezekiel forty-eight thirty-five. The Lord is there. Ezekiel chapter 48, verse 35. And immediately I'm like, oh, wait, wait, wait. Okay, this is Ezekiel. And we just came off a three-month study of Jeremiah. Jeremiah foretells of, you know, them going into captivity of Judah's captivity in Babylon. And we looked at some of the history and there were these different times where people were taken to Babylon. And in some of these deportations to Babylon, Ezekiel ends up going, Daniel ends up going, Jeremiah ends up a part of all, of this and we talked about some of that history some of all of that and so immediately I saw Ezekiel I was immediately interested because right you know it has its history and historical connection to Jeremiah and some of his prophecies and then it says the Lord is there and immediately when I saw that I'm like oh no oh no oh no the Lord is there I I wonder if this these two paragraphs they've written about Ezekiel 48 35 I wonder how many are, you know, how quickly, how fast they're going to take this and make it about us, make it about us, and, and and forget the original recipients of the Lord is there. Because when you think of Ezekiel or Jeremiah or Daniel, people going into Babylonian captivity, when you say the Lord is there, are you telling them the Lord is there in your captivity Or are you telling the people in captivity, the Lord is there and you're promising them some future something, or do I take the promise, rip it away from them and give it to someone else? What's going to happen here? Inquiring minds want to know. And if you notice Ezekiel 48, 35, that should immediately get your, it should capture your thinking because look here, I'm going to, I'm going to open up my Bible. Ezekiel 48. Now I'm using the Schofield Bible because, well, if you're listening to our series on dispensationalism, you see how all of this connects, all right? But I'm holding my Schofield reference Bible here, right? The uh, the anniversary edition, the 1917 uh, uh, anniversary edition. And I'm looking at page 897. And look what I look at. I'm going to read Ezekiel 48, 35, the whole verse. And it was round about 18,000 measures, And the name of the city from that day shall be, the Lord is there. Note, and the name of the city. Oh, there's some city. I wonder what city that is. From that day, from that day, meaning this hasn't happened yet, shall be, the Lord is there. And guess what? That's the last verse in the book of Ezekiel. The Lord is there. Okay, so you've got my interest, right? You had me at the Lord Is There. Or, or you had me at Ezekiel. Or, or you had me at Ezekiel 48:35. Because now I'm fascinated with not only this verse, but what in the world are they going to do with it? So are you ready? Let's let's listen. what they're going to do. They wrote two paragraphs. The person who wrote these paragraphs are Clarence Edward McCartney. Clarence Edward McCartney is the person who wrote the two paragraphs I'm about to read. Are you ready? Here we go. The Lord is there. That is the final sentence. And one of the greatest books of the Bible and that is the last word of one of the greatest men of the Bible, the prophet Ezekiel. Now, I would ask you a question. When was the last time you read the book of Ezekiel? How closely did you read it? Have you read, how, how many times have you read the book of Ezekiel in your life? Five times? Ten times? Oh, here's another important question. If I was to say right now, put away all your books, put away your Bible, grab a piece of paper. I want you to write a one paragraph summary of the, like the who, what, where, when, how of the book of Ezekiel. I want like, give me a basic summary of what it's about, its contents, anything go. Now I love to do that in church. I always love to put people on spot. People don't always appreciate that, but I love to do that. But I'm not going to do that to you now. But but I, I would ask you to ask yourself. And if you don't, maybe you should you know read the book of Ezekiel soon. But here we go. Here we go. This is what they say. They refer to it as again one of the greatest uh, book. That's the last word of one of the greatest uh, books of the Bible, and it's the last word of one of the uh, greatest men of the Bible, the prophet Ezekiel. And the end of this strange and it is the end of this strange and wonderful book with its visions of glory. Predictions of battles and slaughters, strange symbols, extraordinary dramas, and soaring eloquence comes the Lord is there. In other words, you take all of that visions of glory, predictions of battles, you have slaughter, you have strange symbols, you have extraordinary dramas, you have soaring eloquence. And at the very end, the last words are the Lord is there. The book concludes with a vision of a marvelous city as large as Palestine itself and the temple of God as large as Jerusalem um, and the temple of God as large as Jerusalem of this city and temple. It is written, the Lord is there. Now, I do agree that the vision there at the end is crazy because about the vi- about the city, about the temple, try to figure out how big that city is, how big that temple is. I think we can say, I don't think that has ever existed. And then you know what you have to do. Is it referring to a literal city and a literal temple that will exist on this earth? Or is it referring to a city and a temple that will exist and the new heaven and the new earth? Or is it all just symbolic? So let me read that part again. This book, the book concludes with a vision of a marvelous city as large as Palestine itself, and a temple of God as large as Jerusalem. Of this city and temple, it is written, the Lord is there. Now here's the last paragraph. The Lord is there any prophet, any preacher, any teacher, any book, any picture, any providence or experience in life, which can say to you, I don't know, maybe I'm going to read this again. I'm sorry. The Lord is there. Any prophet, any preacher, any teacher, any book, any picture, any providence or experience in life which can say that to you which can tell you that life is more than meat and the and the body more than raiment, which can persuade you that life has spiritual outgoings that the destiny of the soul is something more than just a struggle in the darkness uh, in in the uh def uh in a struggle in the darkness and the defiles of this world's wilderness and after the silence Any book, any friend, any prophet, teacher, preacher, experience, which can say to you, the Lord is there as well worthy of your attention. Now, I do like that because I don't, I thought they were going to make it a little bit about me, but they just really make this, that this phrase, the Lord is there, that it makes the book of Ezekiel worthy of your attention. Let me read this all again to you. The Lord is there. Any prophet, Any preacher, any teacher, any book, any picture, any providence or experience in life which can say that to you, which can tell you that life is more than meat and the body more than raiment, which can persuade you that life has spiritual outgoings, that the destiny of the soul is something more than just a struggle in the darkness and the defiles of this world's wilderness, and after that, the silence, any book. Any friend, prophet, teacher, preacher, experience, which can say that to you, the Lord is there, is well worthy of your attention. So they're saying, hey, this, this phrase is worthy of your attention. Now, I could put forth a challenge here. Because I talked at the beginning about we take for granted this wonderful gift we have with having all of these sermons online, right? I would challenge you today to go to the Sermons 2.0 app or beta.sermonaudio.com and do a search for Ezekiel 48.35 and just start listening to sermons. Maybe pick three and just see how do they approach this last chapter? Do they make this about us? Do they make it about Israel, Judah? Do they make it about the church? What do they do with this phrase? The Lord is there. Do they make it about us? So so I would challenge you to do that. That, that should be fun. That should be interesting. That should, that should fill up your Saturday with some time in God's word. But here's what I want to ask you. That phrase, the Lord is there. Is it applicable to you and me? The Lord is there. Now, you may say, well, the idea is applicable, but but should we be taking the Lord is there from Ezekiel 48, 35 and making it about us? Now, if you're going to say the Lord is there, we would need to find, I think, other scriptures in the New Testament that would state that promise more directed and applicable to us. Because I don't know if this one is applicable to us. So let's take a step back. And look at a little bit here about this. All right. First, if you look at the Schofield Reference Bible, since we're using it for our study in dispensationalism, and you go to uh, page 897, if you go back to verse 30, Schofield did something interesting. He gives this section a title. He calls it The City and Its Gates. The city and its gates. Now, guess what he has underneath that? He has it as basically kind of as a cross-reference. He has it in parentheses. You ready? Revelation chapter 21, 10 through 27. Revelation chapter 21, verses 10 through 27. So, if we go look at that. Revelation chapter 21. Revelation 21. I'm going to go there. Revelation chapter 21. And he says for us to look at 10 through 27. Revelation chapter 21. I'm trying to get there. The Scofield Bible is brand new. So um, pages aren't turning very good. Now in this section, now please note, So in Ezekiel, for Ezekiel 48, verse 35, he groups it in a section of verses. They go from 30 to 35. Above this section of verses, Schofield put the city and its gates, and then for a cross reference, put Revelation 21, 10 through 27. If you go to Revelation chapter 21, uh, he breaks verses 9 through 27 into a section he refers to as the lamb's wife the new Jerusalem. All right. So this is interesting. You could spend your day looking at this right here. Okay. But let's look at what these verses say. I'm going to go Revelation 21, starting verse nine. And there came unto me one of the seven angels, which had the seven vials full of the seven last plagues and talked with me saying, come hither, I will show thee the bride and the lamb's wife. And he carried me away In the spirit to a great and high mountain, and showed me that great city, the holy Jerusalem, descending out of heaven from God. I'll stop right here. Now, once again, depending on someone's eschatology, depending on someone's hermeneutic, is this a literal city descending out of heaven? Is this a literal city? Now, if it's not a literal city, then what does it represent? What is it symbolic of? If it is literal, is this the city in Revelation 21, verse 10, that is being described here in the end of Ezekiel, especially uh, the city that is referred to as the Lord is there in Ezekiel 48, 35. Now, let's keep reading. So we have this city. That's descending from heaven and look at look, verse 11, having the glory of God, right? This is uh revelation 21 verse 11. Now having the glory of God and her light was like unto a stone, most precious, even like a Jasper stone, clear as crystal and had a great, had a wall great and high and had the 12 gates. And at the gates, 12 angels and names written thereon, which are the names of the 12 tribes of the children of Israel. Look at Revelation twenty-one twelve. Now this is very important. Once again, you get into some major debates here about eschatology and even hermeneutics. But here, the 12 tribes of Israel are being mentioned in the book of Revelation. All right? Here we go. Verse 13. On the east three gates on the north three gates, on the south three gates, and on the west three gates. And the wall of the city had 12 foundations, and in them the names of the 12 apostles of the Lamb. All right, so you have Israel seemingly to be represented, and you have the apostles being represented. Verse 15, and he that talked with me had a golden reed to measure the city and the gates thereof and the wall thereof. And the city lieth four square and the length is as large as the breadth. And he measured the city with the reed and 12,000 furlongs, the length and breadth and the height of it are equal. Now I would stop right here. Are the measurements of the city and Revelation 21 comparable Close to, similar, or exactly as the same as the city mentioned in the Book of Ezekiel, chapter forty-eight. Oh, oh, oh! You got you got plenty to work on today. You got plenty to work on today. All right, you got plenty to work on. You need to you you can start making your own chart and and, and comparing and contrasting here, verse fifteen, and and. Our, our, well, we just met, read that. Uh, we read verse 16 as well. And the city lieth four square and the length is as large as the breadth. And he measured the city with the reed, 12,000 furlongs. The length and the breadth and the height of it are equal. And he measured the wall thereof, and a hundred and forty and four cubits, according to the measure of a man, that is, of the angel. And the building of the wall of it was of jasper, and the city was pure gold like clear glass." And the foundations of the wall of the city were garnished with all manner of precious stones. The first foundation was jasper, the second sapphire, the third of it, and you can see all of them. The fourth, emerald, the fifth, uh, you, can, you sardis, you see all of them, topaz. You, I'm not going to read every single one, but you can see all of them, all right? And the 12 gates were 12 pearls. Every every several gate was of one pearl, and the street of the city was pure gold and it were and as it were transparent glass then look at verse 22 and i saw no temple therein for the lord god almighty and the lamb are the temple of it and the city had no need of sun, neither of the moon, to shine in it, for the glory of the Lord did lighten it, and the Lamb is the light thereof. And the nations of them which are saved shall walk in the light of it, and the kings of the earth do bring glory and honor into it. Um, yeah, they do bring glory. And verse 25, and the gates of it shall not be shut at all by day, for there shall be no night. Uh, there, and they shall bring the glory and honor of the nations into it, and there shall in no wise enter in anything that defileth, neither whatsoever worketh abomination or maketh a lie, but that they which are written in the Lamb's book of life. Now, that's a lengthy description. I know I skipped uh, many of the the different stones and things there, um, but you can read all of that. Now, according to Schofield, what he does is he takes the city here being mentioned in Ezekiel 48, Verses 30 to 35, and according to his cross-reference, he is referencing that this is the city mentioned in Revelation 21, 9 through 27. He says 10 through 27, but I'm just going to go 9 through 27 for the fuller context. You can look at that and compare and contrast. Now, let's look at Ezekiel 48. Let's read 30 to 35 now and just see if you feel that there's some similarity here. And these are the goings out of the city on the north side, 4,500 measures. And the gates of the city shall be after the names of the tribes of Israel. Now, please note that fits with Revelation 21, does it not? Does that not fit with Revelation 21? I think it does, right? And the gates of the city shall be after the names of the tribes of Israel, three gates northward, one gate of Reuben, one gate of Judah, one gate of Levi, and at the east side, 4,500 and three gates. Uh, see, and at the east side, four thousand and five hundred and three and three gates, and one gate of Joseph, and one gate of Benjamin, and one gate of Dan. And at the south side, 4,500 measures and three gates, one gate of Simeon, one gate of Ishakar, and uh, one gate of Zebulun. And at the west side, 4,500 with, with their three gates, one gate of Gad, of Asher, you, you get all of them. And then look at verse 35, how it ends. It was round about 18,000 measures and the name of the city from that day shall be the Lord is there. Now, do you see a correlation? Do you see it's being the same city? Now, here's the thing is that a literal city that will literally come out of heaven and would this be a literal city that will literally exist in the new earth is where where do you put this new city now if you go back to revelation you'll notice okay 21 right uh then looking immediately um and then start going to chapter 21 and he showed me a pure river water of life and then it starts uh, moving forward that seems to be you would have to almost i think i think we could argue i think we can I i think we can make the argument i'm gonna look at something Yes, if you look at chapter 21, verse 1, and I saw a new heaven and a new earth for the first heaven and the earth uh, were passed away and there was no more sea. Okay, and, then I, and I, John, saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down from God out of heaven, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. Clearly, this city is a part of the new earth. I don't think there's any way to get around that. I don't think there's any way to get around that. I was going to leave the question for you to figure it out, but I thought I would just do it for you. All right. But you can see, you can see there, it's clearly a part of the new earth. So in Ezekiel 48, when it describes this city that is referred to as God is there, it means God is there in that city, right? God is there. He's now, we will be with him. He will be with us. We will be his people. He will be our God. And this is an ultimate, ultimate fulfillment for obviously I mean, when you get to Revelation, it's a fulfillment beyond just Israel, right? Because the Israel's represented, the apostles are represented. That's seemingly to represent Israel and the church, right? I, th- I think that that's a fair way of saying it. And then we'll all be there in this new city. I think that, the- I think that you can make an argument that has to be the city that's being referenced. It has to be. I don't think you can find any other fulfillment for it in Ezekiel, Now, the question is, do we look for a literal city or is this all just metaphorical? Uh, You know, we don't take it that literal. We just say God's going to be there and we're going to dwell with him. Is the point just to say God will be there and we will dwell with him? Or is the point to say this is going to be an ultimate fulfillment and an ultimate literal way? Now, put it back into the context for for the people that Ezekiel is prophesying to. These are people who have seen Jerusalem, their temple destroyed, right? Well, I don't think, I think at this point, we'd have to put it in proper historical context. I think the people who go with Ezekiel, I don't know if they've seen the destruction yet. It's coming. In fact, let's do a little, just a little quick background work on Ezekiel. Let's do a little quick background, all right? Uh, So Ezekiel is the 6th century Israelite prophet, exiled to Babylon, uh, and has given his name to the book as its composer. His name means God strengthens in Hebrew. All right. One sentence summary of the book is from exile in Babylon, Ezekiel's stunning vision and startling symbolic acts were prophecies for the Israelites to teach God's sovereign plan over them and the history of his kingdom so that they will know that I am the Lord. All right. Uh And then there's a little painting here and it says Ezekiel settled with a group of Jewish exiles near the city of Nippur by the uh, Chabar Chabar River, by the waters of Babylon. And then they say, see uh, Psalm 137, 1. All right? They give us a little bit of background. Here we go. Um, the purpose, the book preserves the divinely uh, inspired prophecies that Ezekiel made during his ministry of more than 20 years. These prophecies were originally for the Israelites who had been exiled to Babylon shortly before the final fall of Judah. Is- Ezekiel warned that God's destruction of Jerusalem was looming, but that God responded to individuals based on their relationship to him. Ezekiel also foresaw the distant time when God would act decisively so that Israel and all the nations would know that the Lord alone is God. So they're they they go before the final fall, but they're going to be alive when Jerusalem finally falls. So at, all, at some point they will see the or not see or maybe hear about it because they're in Babylon. They're going to hear about the total destruction of of Israel, in a sense, of 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 the temple of Jerusalem, uh, they're going or of Judah, we should say, they're gonna they're gonna know that it's over, that that everything has fallen. So when you get to Ezekiel forty-eight, and it says the Lord is there, now obviously for them this gives some kind of future hope. Now when this is going to be fulfilled, they obviously don't have any complete grasp of it in any way, shape, or form, they do not. But I think there has to be a promise there ultimately for them, for those in captivity, for those in Babylonian captivity, because I think the idea goes like this. The Lord is there. He will be there. And if he will be there, then you can trust that he is present now, and he will keep these ultimate promises. Now, they don't ultimately get to see some of this, and we haven't seen this, especially if we take the city in Ezekiel 48 and connect it with the uh, city and Revelation. Revelation chapter 21, which is exactly what Schofield wanted us to do. And you can draw your own conclusion if you think the two connects. But the point is, the Lord is there. First and foremost, it's to give them comfort. It's to give those in comfort who are in Babylonian captivity. It's to let them know that if the Lord will be there, then the Lord is here. If he will be there, then he will be, then he is here because he's going to get us there. Now they don't understand exactly when that's going to take place. Now that, you know, Jeremiah, obviously it's revealed to him that it's going to be 70 years that they will be in captivity. So many of them are never going to come out to even see any. They're not even going to see the re- re- return from Babylonian captivity, but it is a promise that God, that, that means that God is somehow in charge, even in the midst of their suffering, even in the midst of what they may not understand, that they're going to have to see, and this is so important, they're going to have to not perceive the promise of God through the lens of their circumstance, but they need to see their circumstance through the lens of God's promise. And God's promise is, hey, there's coming a time that there's going to be a city, and this city is going to be glorious, and the Lord will be There And if he's going to be there whenever that is, then he is here. And I have to trust him and a circumstance that makes absolutely no sense to me. Because there'll probably be a lot here that they could have been very confused and and did not completely understand. Now you could say, well, it was their own fault. It it may have been their own fault, but we can talk about all of the, the you know, they had priests and prophets telling them something completely opposite than say what Jeremiah was saying. There was plenty there to lead them to confuse kings who were leading them in the wrong direction. They had plenty of issues. But the Lord is there. I think our first thing we have to do is this. We have to apply it to the original recipients, which would have given them, again, if the Lord will be there, then he is here and give them some confidence in their, in, in their, their current situation. And for us, now we can't, now this is very important. We can go to the New Testament and I would challenge you to do this, find the verses that promise us that God is with us now. But we can still have the same promise that God will be there, right? God will be there and whatever our future will be. In other words, there's going to come a time. That's, that city and Revelation, that's a promise beyond just is, is Israel. We know that. Israel's is mentioned and the apostles are mentioned. That's a city for everyone whose name is written in the book of life. Everyone who is saved, there will be a city. We will dwell with him and he will be there and we, and he will be our God and we will be his people. That promise that's made to Israel, obviously there's a specific Israel aspect to it, but there's one for us as well. So in a roundabout way, we can relate to this, at least from this perspective, As Judah was in Babylonian captivity, right, suffering, we too... And you could argue because of our own sins, we're in our own captivity, right? We're in a corrupted world where there's pain, suffering, and death. We still have a sinful nature where we continue to struggle and fall. We still suffer, in a sense, in, in certain aspects of captivity. I know we always want to act like we're free, but we, we are free positionally. We will be free eternally. But now we still struggle with the corrupted world, with a fleshly body, with a sinful nature. And what we have to see is we have to not look, we cannot allow our circumstances, our failure, our sin to diminish the ultimate promise of God. We have to see our circumstances through the lens of God's promise, not see God's promise through the lens of our circumstance. So in that way, it's a great picture, this picture of them in this horrible situation, but being told the Lord is there. There's coming a day. There's going to be this glorious city. That has that has never, I don't think if you look at those measurements, you could ever say anything close to that has ever occurred. And then you go to uh, the book of Revelation and there seems to be the city. And God is going to be there. The gates are never going to have to be shut. There's never going to be night. It's only going to, there's not going to be the need for a sun. There's not going to be a need for the temple because Christ will be there. Now. I hand all of that to you in this very quick and short <laughs> devotional message for you to work on today. But 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 do I challenge you listen to two to three sermons today on Ezekiel 4835? Just pick them at random from the Sermons 2.0 app. Don't don't pay any attention. Just grab, just start listening and see what you come up with. How do people handle? this do they come do they connect this city to the city in revelation 21 and is it a literal city do you believe that to be a, that there's going to be a new heaven and a new earth and on the new earth there's going to be this literal city this literal city now the question is this is very important because this talks about the city and the gates if you go through Ezekiel it doesn't talk about a temple Does it talk about a temple? It does. What temple is that referencing? Now, I don't think it can be the temple that's going to be connected to the city in Revelation 21, because don't you remember specifically what we read about the city in Revelation 21? Um, Let's see if I can find it. Revelation chapter twenty one. Let me see if I can find the specific verse. You probably know which one I am referring to here. Uh, Revelation twenty one. I'm going to start reading verse. I'm going to read. I'm going to go back through, uh, starting in verse nine again. Let's see here if I can find it. And there, and there uh, came. Uh, and there came unto me one of the seven angels, which had the seven vials full of the seven last plagues and talked to me saying, come hither. I will show thee the bride and the lamb's wife. And he carried me away a spirit and a great and high mountain showed me that great city, the holy Jerusalem, descending out of the heaven, having the glory of God. And the light was like unto stone, most precious, even like jasper stone, clear as crystal. All right. Then it starts talking about the, uh, the, upon the, See and upon the gates, all right, uh, which were written thereon are the names of the twelve tribes. We see that. Then it mentions the gates. We see that. Um, then we have uh, we have these stones. We see all of that, all of those stones. And then look at verse twenty-two. And I saw no temple therein, for the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are the temple of it. So in Ezekiel. 48 and Ezekiel 48 going back, we see the city. If that's the city that's found in revelation 21, if it's the same city, then that temple that is described before Ezekiel 48, where does that temple belong? That temple can't be the one, a part of that city because if that city is the city mentioned in revelation 21, there is no temple there. So does that temple belong to a different period of time? Or do you spiritualize that temple? Do you spiritualize the city as not being a literal city descending out of a literal heaven? Now, the ultimate promise we can understand. God's going to be there. And if God's going to be there, then we can trust that God is here. And he's going to take get us who are here. He's going to ultimately get us there. And it's going to be because of what God does, not because of what we do. All right. I'll step right there. You can contact me. Newsif at yahoo.com. Newsif at yahoo.com. That's newsif at yahoo.com. All right. Remember, that was supposed to be done just like that. Okay because some people are going to be like, well, you should have went into this and you should have gone into this and you should have covered this and you should have covered. This was supposed to be a devotional message where, as I love to do, I hand you all the ingredients and go, there you go. You got plenty to do. So your homework is pretty simple. You can compare the city in Ezekiel 48 to the city in Revelation 21. Is it the same city? Now, the temple that's mentioned before can't belong to the city in Revelation 21 because there's no temple in the city in Revelation 21. So what do you do with that temple mentioned before? Do you do you see the temple as being literal? Do you see the city being literal? All right. If you spiritualize it, then what does it represent? All right. Ezekiel 48, 35, the verse that sparked this little devotional two paragraphs that I read to you in the Sword of the Lord— the Lord is there. Make sure you first and foremost apply it to the original recipients. These are people who had been taken to Babylonian captivity and they're being told the Lord is there. And what can we learn from that? That they were going to have to see their circumstance through the lens of this, of all of these promises. They were not to see the promises through the lens of their circumstance. And then I gave you another challenge. Very simple. Go to the Sermons 2.0 app today, look up three sermons, or just look up sermons on Ezekiel 48:35. choose them at random, at least three, and listen to them today and see how they handle all of this. And please note, Christian church has been divided on this for a very long time because this has profound impacts on the hermeneutic you're using. Obviously, it's going to have a profound impact on your eschatology, but this gives you something to work on today. Email me newsif at yahoo dot com. Newsif at yahoo dot com. Remember tomorrow morning. 10 a.m. We continue what's going to be a very lengthy, lengthy, lengthy study of the dis, of the dispensational system. We are taking the system apart. We're, we're creating hypotheses. We're challenging it. We're looking. We're looking at it from a historical perspective. So don't forget that. 10 a.m. We'll be dealing with dispensationalism. At the 11 a.m. hour, we'll be dealing with dispensationalism. And at the 6 p.m. Uh, hour tomorrow night, we'll be dealing with dispensationalism. So. And the way we're covering it is, well, it's going to make everyone mad because that's, that's what I tend to do. All right. There you have it. You can email me, newsif at yahoo.com. Newsif at yahoo.com. And what was supposed to be about a 15-minute devotional has turned into 46 minutes. Now I'm running way, way, way behind. But all right. Thank you for listening. Everyone have a great day. Please email me. Thank you for listening. God bless.